What I want to share with you today, if, if I went to Bible, you know, how to be a pastor school, which I didn't do, <laughs> which I probably should have done in retrospect, uh, but as many of you know, I was, we, Pastor Tina and I were in business for the first half of our lives, the first third, actually, of our lives up to when we were about 40 years old. And when we were 40, uh, the Lord asked us to go and make that move into ministry. He did it in a very, you know, God way. He just said, you know, all I want you to do is start a Bible study and hang out in your house. And so then it just kept on going until we, what we see now and certainly what we're expecting to see in the next little while. Uh, focus here as they align my... Uh, Anyways, where was I, what was I saying? And so when, uh, one of the things I know that they tell you in how to be a pastor school is not to teach at all ever, especially not on a Sunday, what I'm going to teach you today. <laughs> and so what I need you to do is I need you to be able to focus. Tell the person next to you, don't let me run. Say that to the person next to you. Don't let me run. Because what the Holy Spirit has for us today, if you will permit me, and if you don't rush me, if you could, that's why we're going fast on all the other things today. If you just won't rush me, and you know, and not say that you do rush me, I know you're all good to listen, but I believe what we're going to talk about today for us as North Americans is a critical understanding that we are at first, when you hear me tell you what I'm going to talk to you about today, you're going to say, honey, why didn't we go to another church this morning? But if you get all the way to the end of this understanding, it's going to empower you in such, it's going to empower all of us. It's going to empower me as I study it and as I present it to you. It's going to empower us as a ministry. It's going to give us what I believe is the essential ingredient that is necessary in order for us to go from, as many of you know, we are transitioning from our wilderness experience when we were just, caught, we were just being built by God. We were just being trained by God. We were being empowered by God and his word. And we, were, we have been up until this season kind of like, or let's say it like this. We have many, how many of you have been here for most of the 10 years that we've been in this church? So many of you are here for that. So many of you know we've talked about going into the promised land. You know, God is taking us over the Jordan. How many of you have ever had that teaching before? You've heard it about you know, eight, 10 years ago, and then you heard it eight years ago, and then you heard it six years ago. And then what we were doing through that season, if you'll remember your Bible, is that we were just wandering around in the wilderness, and then we would see the promised land, and it would go by, and then we would go around the wilderness again, and we'd come back and talk about the promised land, and then we would go around the wilderness again. How many of you say, yeah, that's, I remember that for the last 10 years. And that's not a bad thing in a sense. What God is doing in that, all of that season is God is perfecting us. God is transforming us. He's changing us into the people that are going to be ready to stand on the banks of the Jordan and say, we are going across. And when we get across, we are going to be ready to do what is needed to be done when we get there. You see, what had to happen was, if you look at this, the generations in that time, is that the people who the, the, what they were waiting for in the wilderness, there was two people. There was the old man who was the, the Egyptian slave. And then there was the new man, the people, the children who were born in the wilderness. And they had not known slavery, except through the, perhaps the stories of their parents. They had not known slavery in their own life. What they had known was the provision of God. They knew the manna and the quail. They knew the water coming out of the rock. They, they heard the stories of the Red Sea and the, the parting and the Pharaoh's army being drowned in the sea. And they were singing the songs. And this is the, So there's an old man and there's a new man. And so that's kind of what our journey is as well for each one of us is that, that now we're not two people in a sense. That's going on in every one person's life in the New Testament. There is the old person who was trained up as a slave of, you know, if you take a look at, you know, the scriptures about you were, you were born a child of God, but you were born with the propensity to very quickly jump over and join another family, which is the family of the devil. That's not called family. We use that term euphemistically. Right, you were a slave in the, in the devil's world, right? And so he treated you like a slave, and so you learned life as a slave, and as a, as a, as a worm, as a victim, as a, a low life, as all of these type of things, which is what, of course, you would have learned in a kingdom, in a, in a, in a household like that. And then, then God brings us back. That's the old man. And then the new man now is the one that's coming up and learning the new, shedding the ways of the old kingdom, uh, the old life, the old family, yeah. you know, small f, family. 
coming into the new family and really learning and getting cleansed and getting rebuilt, re-perceived, recalculated in your mind because of this new person that you were going to become. Here we stand again at the banks of the Jordan, let's say, and we're kind of in the, you know, you kind of have to be able to see this season of time is the crossing of the Jordan. It would have happened in a day at, at, when it happened in the, in the story. But in our lives, it is a, it's a season. It's a transitional season as God brings us metaphorically across the Jordan. And then once we get to the other side of the Jordan, now he's got us all heading off for our individual battles because he's intending that there is a plot of land for you, Amen. for your family, for your business. Yeah. For the legacy, the generations that are going to be coming, that is, there is a place for you. Yes. And what you do, just like in the, in the stories, and we can see all this metaphorically in the stories of the, this second generation, if you will, of Israelites, as they were coming into the promised land, they were coming in knowing there's a piece of ground over there that's mine. On that piece of ground is land and, and vineyards and houses that I did not build, vineyards that I did not, that I did not plant, they're already ready. They're waiting for me. All they need to do is I need to dispossess the person that has it now and possess that which God has given to me. Amen. In order to do that, does that sound great? Woo, are you all ready? This is where you come in. That was my, uh, you know, pastoral easy slope for you to jump into what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to stay fairly focused. So I'm going to try not to go on too many rabbit trails, if you'll forgive me for that. Uh, forgive me if I, you know, if I don't get too excited um, about my material. I am really excited about the material. I'm not just for you to hear it, but I'm also excited for it in my own personal life and in the life of this ministry. Because I feel like this is such a God mandate for us. It's such an important revelation for each one of us to get. It's going to transform your personal life. It's going to transform your family. It's going to transform your job or your business or your ministry. It's going to transform this church. It's going to transform this region, this city. It's going to transform this. All of it happening because of one central thing at this point. Now, uh, 10 years ago, this wasn't the point. But now this is the point. You understand what I'm saying by that? That it was important that each one of our lives have experienced the things that we have experienced to get up until this. But it's very important for those children born in the wilderness to grow up with this, this provision, protection, and love of God that was going on in their life. Very important part of it. But now that we've experienced that, each one of us, I'm hopefully, you know, maybe if you're new today, then, you know, you have to catch up with us a wee bit. But what's going on is that now the season is a very particular thing in our lives. It's very important that we get what we are about to get today. So stay, are you with me? Have I, have I given you enough of a commercial to go, get go going on it? Okay, what we're going to talk about today, let me put, I'll put it on the board. It'll sound good when it's first going up, but then hold on. What we're going to talk about today is called creative, I won't even say this last word until you get your hands around it. We're going to talk about creative suffering. Now, that would seem like an oxymoron to you, but it's actually not. And so what I, what I want you to do is I want you to get, now open up your mind, but I, what I want you to do is as we are talking today, let me give you the definition that the Lord gave me about, about uh, courage. He told me that courage was the ability to accept suffering for the sake of a greater cause. See, all of you as parents are willing to suffer for your children. You're willing to give up the, you know, the nights out or, you, you know, the vacation time or whatever because you want to sow into your children. You want to give to your children, right? Those of you husbands, you, you give up your, your certain things when you get married because you love your spouse and it's okay. It's not suffering. You know, I think after a while you'll call it suffering, but at the time you don't call it suffering, Right? When I remind my children of how I had to suffer for them in order to have their lives the way they are. And at the time, it wasn't suffering. Right. At the time, I'm just using that in a manipulative way right now because I want to get what I want from them. You know, I can't, they can't forget me and all that or lend me their children, these type of things. But what's important to us is that the suffering at the moment isn't suffering. You know, I used to go out with the boys you know, and just do dumb, smelly things with boys. Then I met my wife, my girlfriend at the time. And how many of you know, I totally forgot about all my guy friends, yeah. right? I wanted to spend time with this. And so that wasn't, although that is, I am giving up something. Here's what's important, because it's create, it's not just suffering. 
The kingdom of God has, got a, has got a, had, had a big problem with this concept of suffering. It is my job to be poor. It is my job to be sick because it somehow glorifies God. It's my job to be a miserable, low-life person who wanders around with rips in his clothes. In order. That's not the suffering God is talking about. But we have somehow got to the place where we have embraced it. And now what you're doing is when I use the word suffering, you're going, no, 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 no. And it's created a real problem in our culture. And I'm going to share with you why in a minute. The important part about it is that when you hear the word suffering, it's not suffering the way we're doing it now. And I'll explain, I'll explain why. That's why I need you to zip it up, you know, put the seatbelt on so that you don't run in the middle of this. Okay? How many of you have ever obeyed God and it didn't turn out quite the way you wanted it to? Don't put your hand up. Let me go the other way. It'll save us energy. How many of you have ever obeyed God and it did go exactly the way you planned it to go? Okay. Oh, one person. So that's a, and how many times? Once. Okay. So out of the 200, 300 people that are in here right now, one person has had one experience where it went exactly the way they predicted it was going. And chances are he predicted it to have a bunch of bad stuff in it. And so that's why he's right. What happened? We, this, is what, this is what happens. This is, the, this is how we go. We go obey God, get blessed, and repeat. That's how it's supposed to work, right? Yes. And then what happens is it doesn't happen quite like that because I mean, no, I missed a couple steps. But if you've ever even tried this even a few times, you know it doesn't go like that. Matter of fact, when you talk about Gideon, Pastor Tina was talking about Gideon last time when she was with us, and she was talking about Gideon as he was going into the, the battle. The Midianites had been hiding up in the mountains. They built, literally, they had cities up there, like in caves and stuff like that, so they, they were waiting until the Israelites, who had worked hard all season, gathering all, planting and plowing and planting and gathering and harvesting and putting it all into the barns. And as soon as they put it into the barns, the Midianites would come down and they'd steal it all. And they would basically stay in, they wouldn't steal it and go, which would have been kind of nicer. They basically came and sat down at their tables and ate their food and didn't move until all the food was gone. And so then God shows up with Gideon and Gideon starts to have this discourse with the father. Uh, let's read it. I'll just, I don't have time to read it, but I'm, I'm going to read it. So in Judges chapter 6 now, oops, we see this situation where, where Gideon has come up. And now verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. People have a big problem with that nowadays, can I tell you? The, you know, I know Pastor Alex says he sees angels and stuff like that. And people have a problem with you seeing angels. They have a problem with the book of Judges, right? Don't worry about that. Read your Bible, and then you'll know that these things are actually parts of the way God communicates with us. We'll talk a lot about angels as we get further into this teaching series. Angels, it's very important that we see or experience or at least perceive that there are angels around us. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. That's God talking to, uh, talking to Gideon. And Gideon says, sir, uh, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why have all these things happened to us? Yeah. Yeah. Right? See, what? if the Lord is with us, we obeyed God, we're doing the thing. And we're supposed to get blessed. Gideon says, you know, the Lord is with us. Why has all this stuff happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? Remember the story. These would have been stories. This is not just story. This is a story culture. These would have been songs. They would have been stories. It would have been every time you go to bed and your mommy's reading to you or, or telling you a story. She's telling you a story about the Red Sea, about Egypt, about Pharaoh's armies cast into the sea and singing songs and all the miracles and the, the, red, the blood and the water and the frogs and the lice and all this. That would have been, that's, they didn't have the stories like we have nowadays. Those would have been the stories. Gideon is saying, I, I've, I know the word. I know what you've done in the past. I know what's been going on back there. But listen to me. We need God now. We need God to give us miracles. Where the heck are the miracles now? What happens? So what happens? 
See, what happens to Gideon, as you see here, he's, and, you know, he's hiding behind the wine press. He's, he's busy doing things to try and hide all of the grain and all of the produce and all of the harvest from the Midianites because they know the Midianites are going to come again. And then God shows up to him and says, dude, you're a mighty man of valor. You are a great and courageous warrior, he says. And he goes, dude, stop that. I am so sick and tired of hearing about the stories. I'm so sick and tired, Pastor. Please don't tell me I'm blessed and favored. Please don't tell me that anymore, Pastor. Please don't preach another faith message to me, Pastor. I've had enough. What's happened? Let me tell you what's happened. When we go, when we start out in our journey with the Lord, we are skeptical. Skeptical, skeptical, skeptical. And then we go from skeptical to religious, which is religion in a good way, in the sense that we have now entered in and we start doing what we're told, right? You're obeying the law, which people say is bad, but it's not bad, right? When you raise your children first, you tell them what to do and they do it, right? Doing what you're told. And then you go from religious to being mentored or being, being taught or, being, or teaching, right? And then you go to be a doer, doer. A doer. Is that how it goes? Doer? Okay. Now, what ha- see, what then happens is you become a doer. This is all a great process for each one of us to be going through that. I mean, you say, yeah, that's the process that I went through, right? What happens is then you become a doer and you forget about this little line right here of what happens between obey God and gets blessed. And what happens is you start to, this is when you, now you're very courageous here because you're not smart enough not to be courageous because you don't really know. Obey God, get blessed, and repeat. Perfect, I'm going to do it. And you're very courageous because you haven't scuffed your knee yet. Right? Like when I'm I'm holding, I'm holding, she's not here anymore. But if I showed you Olivia, I could stand Olivia up on this table right now. She doesn't know how to stand or walk yet. And I could stand her up there and let her stand by herself. And then she sort of tips over. But she doesn't get bothered by that. Now, she's got a real problem on her hands if I'm not, but we've always been there. So she doesn't know I need to balance. I, she doesn't know I'm in a very precarious position right now, five feet off the floor, and I don't know how to stand. Did anybody get the memo? No. <laughs> she didn't know that yet. Right, right, right? Like she does this thing, you know, she's amazing, you know, such a gifted child from God, you know. She rolls over now, I know, amazing, amazing. <laughs> the first time she rolled over, do you know what she did? Get the mechanics of it? She bonked her head, right? That's what you do. Now when she rolls over, she tightens up her neck. And so she rolls over and you can see her going to go like that until she kind of relaxes and puts her head down. Why does she do that? She does that because she's bonked her head. And now that she's bonked her head, what's happening to this courage that is in her? It's starting to do what? It's starting to go in the other direction. Stay with me. So what happens? So you become a doer. And you go back, you know, they say that he who can't do, teach, right? So if you don't want to do anymore, but you've got the information about what doers are supposed to do, then what do you do? You become a teacher. Oh, gifted teacher yourself. But you're not doing it anymore because the doers are the ones that fall down and bang their head. And then when you say, you know what, you can't teach anymore, then you just go back to being a religious person who sits in the seat and tells people about the stories of other people who have done what they're supposed to do. And then if you don't want to be a religious person because you get so fed up with that now, you become a critic. Can I tell you, the easiest person in the whole wide world to be is a critic. You know, we turn on the football game this afternoon. I'll even put my Buffalo Bills jersey on. And I'll get my little kombucha sitting right beside me there on the table. And I can start talking at those guys on that, that screen, right? You did this wrong, and you did that. What the heck are you doing? From my armchair. I did not have to work out not one day. You know when you hear that sound like that on the television? Do you know what that sound is? That sound is two helmets hitting together with such ferocity that you can hear it on the microphone a hundred yards away. I never did that one time. 
I didn't have to deal with all the problems, all the sweat, all the joints, all the, you know, those guys. They, you know what those guys, they have these tubs. They are bathtubs full of ice cubes. And that, not because that's where the beer is, guys. It's because they need to get in there after the game because they hurt so bad that they have to get in this ice cube filled bathtub and soak there. You know, we went to the spa one time, you know, this is not by any means a comparison, but <laughs> you know, they've got those places where you go in the hot tub and then you get out of the hot tub and you go in the cold tub. How many of you ever done that? Shaka Zulu, that is like serious business. That's as close as I've ever gotten to deserving to stand there watching the football game and point my finger at that screen. See, the problem is, is that we have got a whole, you know where most of the Christians are? Right, they're down, they're down here. Either religious, doing nothing, just, they know what to do, what they should do. They go to evangelism classes, they don't evangelize anybody, but they go to evangelism class. I mean, watch. Why? Courage has gone back down. You know what courageous Christians do now? They yell at people on Facebook. Whoa. Now that's real, man. You know, no, no. That's what we do. That's what we do. Why? Because the courage has been built, and then when we start having the wrong understanding of that hyphen right there, when we have the wrong understanding of that hyphen, all of a sudden we go all the way up to a courageous doer and turn around and go all the way back down to a religious person or critic. One component is missing. What is it? Starts with a C, courage. It's courage. And the reason that we lose our courage is because we don't know how to suffer creatively. Can I tell you, I mean, the Lord said this to me a couple of years ago and I ignored it, which I shouldn't have done, I admit. But he said this very profound thing to me one day. He said, Ian, you know what? I made trees. It's up to you to make houses. God didn't make a house. He didn't make your watch. He didn't make your cell phone. He didn't make that chair. He didn't build this building. He didn't make that light bulb. He didn't make that projector. He didn't make your shirt or your shoes. What he did do was give you all the raw materials that you needed in order for you to put effort into something. And that effort was going to turn a tree into a house. That word effort is another way to say suffering. Right? Alex wants me to go to the gym with him. I've told you this story before. He still hasn't got me there, as you could, but you wouldn't know it by my amazing physique. But he wants me to go to the gym and put in some effort. What do I hear? I hear you want me to go to the gym and suffer. Isn't that what I'm saying? Isn't that what I'm hearing? Right? Effort and suffering are exactly the same thing. The problem is we have made them equal. All, suff all effort is suffering. It's not. And what we have got to, we've become as a culture, people whose life purpose it is to not suffer. Every time, you know, this is how businesses are made nowadays. You know, we have a gadget for everything. Literally everything. And if you have something going on in your life right now, that you'd say, I'm suffering a little bit here, Go tell one of the inventors, Jerry over here, go tell the inventor over here that you've got a problem where you slightly have to put a little more effort than you'd like to put in. Do you know what, Jerry will come back next week and he'll have a little tool for you where you can have this and he, then he'd go and sell it on, on amazon.com and make a million dollars with it. That's how we've done it. Every single thing that exists started out being somebody identifying a problem that lots of people would like to have fixed so their life gets easier. And then when their life gets easier, they're willing to pay the price to buy the dishwasher or the car or the, you know, whatever the device is in order to make their lives better. And so that's what was really good 100 years ago, 
But now what it has translated into when people come up in our culture, we have a culture that says, it is my job to not suffer. And I'm looking around at any moment in time. Is there anything in my life right now where I am suffering? And so then what I do is I go find something to stop my suffering because that's my primary objective. I want to stop the suffering. Instead of realizing that this world has been made in such a way that your life and my life have effort that we are going to put towards something and as we put effort towards that thing, yes, there's a component of that, that it's going to be hard. Yes, there's a component of it where I'm going to suffer. But how many of you know I can suffer in such a way that I don't get a single thing done? Or I can suffer in such a way that I get a ton of things done. One of them is uncreative suffering. It's not creating anything. It's just destroying my life. The other way, I'm suffering, but I'm creating something in the midst of my suffering. Can I tell you, when you create something in the midst of your suffering, it stops being suffering. That's why the difference in him, he says he's going to put some effort into the gym. I say I'm going to suffer at the gym. Why? Because I have not connected my effort to the, re the reward, to, the, to the how better you feel or how stronger you are or how great you look in front of the mirror or how the, you know, all those kind of things. I have not connected those things together because courage is the ability to suffer for a greater cause. It doesn't stop at suffer. Courage is not just the ability to suffer. Courage is the ability to suffer because I have a greater cause. I have a greater purpose to which I am living. And it's okay to put effort and strain and dry and pushing myself in order to get that thing that I've already decided I want more than what I have right now. I've already decided that's worth it in my life. And then all of a sudden, my effort... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to blow 24 hours today no matter what. I, I'm not going to get it back. It's going to be gone. Can I tell you something? There's a, there's a, we, I think we bought a lie. Let me tell you what that lie is. It's on page four, so you'd be happy about that. So we've been lied to. You cannot live a life without suffering. I know, I know, take a minute. You can't. Do you know what happens if you lay on the couch because you don't want to suffer? Soon, lifting up the remote to change the channel, excuse me, tell me the answer, will be what? It will be suffering. You'll, be, you'll have to get it up with your, you know, I, honey, can you come here and help me with the remote? Could you imagine, guys? What an end would that would be in our lives to need our wives' help with the remote? But that's what will happen. We've been lied to that if we buy enough stuff, have enough money, get a better husband, have a better car, that we won't have to suffer. That's not true. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how many toys you have. It doesn't matter how many contraptions they invent. Yes. Humankind is not going to experience less. Suffering will change, right? You're single and you're suffering as a single person. Go find yourself a husband. You think you ain't going to suffer? Well, Pastor Tina doesn't have to suffer, of course, but... It's not that you stop suffering. You change how you suffer. You go get you a new Ferrari, you're going to not suffer anymore. You go, oh, yeah. Until somebody comes along with a key and goes, on your brand new Ferrari. Now you got to suffer. You're still suffering. So you got to pay that insurance. You still got to put the gas. You still got to change the tires. You still got to suffer. We've bought a lie that says our life is its purpose. It's got to get all of your focus. 
If I could focus in on everywhere that I'm suffering, then I head to the, to the dollar store and I buy something that prevents me from suffering. That's all, it's my whole existence. And I'm just running around in this constant state of frustration because no matter how much money you have, no matter how many toys you have, no matter how many appliances you have, no matter how many servants you have, no matter how, what you have, you still wake up every day with this concept of suffering. It's just... <laughs> I've had a lot of practice at that particular emotion right there. I, I, because I bought the lie. Because I thought that if I worked really hard and I did the right things, eventually I was going to get to the place in my life where I stopped suffering. Can I tell you some very, very, very hard, hard, hard reality? When you live your life, this is your birth, and you suffer, usually until you are 54. At 54, we do this thing called retire. We don't always quit our job, but we retire at that point. Sorry. And then we start going down. Okay? This is where we put in effort and we create, it's supposed to be creatively suffering. And this is when we stop doing that. We stop putting in effort and we stop suffering. Now we're retired, we deserve better, we got to. Da, 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 da. And then, you know where that is, right? This is, this is super important. You know, Tommy, Tommy Reed said this. Tommy Reed said, yeah. Tommy Reed said this to me two, two years ago. We were down in, up in, down in, over in, Watertown, New York. And he said this to me. He said, just out of the blue, I was asking him, because he's, he's 85 now. He would have been 83 or so then. But on fire for God, just going at it. Just traveling and preaching and, you know, the way he is. And so we were talking about that. Like, how do you, like, how do you have that? Because I'm thinking 53, and I'm kind of thinking, okay, you know, I'm just trying to slow down a little bit here. And, you know, I think I've deserved it. I've worked hard all my life. And, you know, now it's time to kind of start coasting. And so I'm saying to him, like, dude, you're like 30 years ahead of me. How do you still have this energy? You know the way they, these senior people talk? And he said, you know, Ian, I take two stairs at a time. And he walked away from me. It's like, it's like one of those, how many of you have had those Jesus moments, you know? The kingdom of God is likened unto two-way. I take two steps at a time. What was he saying? And he explained it to me afterwards. He said, I've had this moment right here many, 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 many times. Where I say, you know, I'm old now. I can take one step at a time. That's when it starts. We start curving ourselves over the top with these little tiny little things. And what happens after a while, it's not that we had to go here. It was that we started here heading there. If we just don't do that, if we just, and I'm not saying go crazy. That's why I'm not, I don't, I'm not a proponent to extreme things. I think slow and steady, not slow, creatively effort, consistent effort every single day will create something much better than some big flash in the pan one day because you had a burst of energy. People come to me all the time. You know, you should have this ministry, you should have this ministry, you should have this, great, and then they don't come to church next Sunday right? It is a good idea, but we don't believe in those kind of things. If we're not going to do it right and excellent and long-term, we're not doing it. And so because I believe that if we can sustain this journey, can I tell you one of the main reasons? We don't, this, is the, this is the macro, your whole life right here. But can I tell you, it's also all the other things in the midst. It's every little thing that we do. We put a little effort into it. We start to suffer. We turn the corner. We go back down. It's dead. Everything in life goes through that exact curve. Right. What we have to be able to do 
is we have to be able to, with our lives, with our destinies, with our purposes that God has, we've got to go after it and be able to have courage at every moment. In order to have courage at every moment as a doer, we have got to understand how to creatively suffer. You have to understand this. Can I tell you something? I believe the fear of suffering in our world is a stronghold. I said in the, did I say it in the beginning to pay attention to when I say suffer and when I say greater cause? What do you care more about? The negative of the word suffer or the, the positive of the word greater cause? Most of us will be really, I wish, oh, suffering, suffering. Oh, I hear suffering, boom, 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 boom in my head. Can I tell you, it should be greater cause. For Christians, it should be greater cause. I'm, just, I'm criticizing you. This is, you know, pointing all the fingers back at me right now. It's the greater cause that we're focused on. The reason oftentimes that we do not want to be doers of the word, doers of the plan of God, doers in obedience of what God's asking us to do is because we have got this stronghold, I will not suffer. I don't matter what my life does have, but the one thing it ain't gonna have is any suffering. And so then when we realize, we think in, in deceptive ways that we can stop suffering. The more we focus on the fact that we are suffering, the more that suffering <clears throat> consumes our entire life. That's right. Do you see that? Yes. Every day, all I'm concerned about is how do I not suffer? Because I suffered a whole lot yesterday. I'm not suffering all the time. I can't believe I have to suffer all the time. It's just suffering, 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 suffering. <laughs> so I wake up in a few days. I wake up in the morning. You have to listen to Liz Farrakh because I'm not done. The, the, you, have to, you wake up every morning and soon it becomes a life filled with all the effort you're doing is to stop suffering. Instead of just stop worrying about the suffering. God somehow, I, I, please, first question when I get through the pearly gates is going to be asking God why he built a world that is created on the backs of creative sufferers. That's how we have everything. The concrete floor that you're standing on, somebody suffered to put this floor here. Somebody suffered to hang that light. Somebody suffered to make this microphone, this shirt, your, the, the chair that you're sitting. Somebody suffered to create everything that we see in our world. I don't like the concept at all. I would like eat more ice cream, get more buffed. If I was God, I would honestly, that's how I would. And can I tell you something? Heaven has no friction in it. Heaven is different than earth in one primary way. It does not require suffering in order to operate. It doesn't have gravity. It doesn't have effort. There is no negative. There is no evil. There is no resistance. The devil is not there. When you get to heaven, life will be complete. Like you're living like a cosmonaut. You know the problem with cosmonauts? Pastor Alex was telling me. These guys that go and circle the earth for six months, they come back, they need to go into the gym because they can't stand. Their muscles have gone. They've atrophied now, so they can't walk anymore. They don't show you that part. They pull them off there in a stretcher and take them to the hospital. Next time you see them is a year later when they've been able to rebuild themselves. Because there's no friction, there's no gravity out there, they lose all their muscle mass. This world, like it or not. That's why I had to tell you this today. I don't want to tell you this today. I had this great message on, you know, faith and building a great life and you can be all you can be. And, you know, we... Can I tell you, if you have a stronghold, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he will go and in the end, he will not depart from it. That means if we grew up with a fear of suffering. I could preach a hundred messages, the most on fire, God wants you blessed. He's got a great life for you. Go for the adventure. He's with you all the way. Won't mean a thing to you. Because train up a child in the way that he will go and in the end, he will not depart from you. We do not have the ability to follow a truth other than the one we learned first until we get rid of the one we learned first. Take a look at some of these. How many, just listen to these words like you're in a rhema. Listen to these words and see if you'd say, yeah, that's true. 
suffering is bad. Just think about it. Do you think that's true? Most people think that's true. Suffering is to be avoided at all costs. Ask yourself, do you believe that? There is nothing good about suffering. I'm not sure what my wife, my life will accomplish. Excuse me. I'm not sure what my life will accomplish. A little Freudian slip there. I'm not sure what my life will accomplish, but one thing is certain. I'm not going to suffer. If you believe those things at least to be partially true, what you probably have done is you've bought the North American lie that says, I can buy my way out of suffering. I can work my way out of suffering. I can try harder and not suffer. I can do, my wife could be a better wife and I won't suffer as much. My boss could be a better boss. My pastor could be a better pastor. My government could be a better government. And if they were a better government, I wouldn't suffer quite so much. Let me tell you what a stronghold does. We, we know this, but for recap. That which I greatly fear, excuse me, comes upon me. Why? And we know why. Got another color. Which one haven't I used? I've used, I'm not using pink. It's disgusting. Okay. See, when I fear something, I focus on it. Right? I walk into the room and I'm afraid of, of, uh, of uh, brunette women. I focus on all them. Stay away from all them. I'm focusing on them, right? If I'm afraid of it. There's, somebody says, you know, you go into that room, there's a spider in there. Might be an enormous room. What are you looking for? Right? I'm looking for the spider because I'm afraid of the spider. When we focus on it, now we start to get all of our soul involved in it. And the more our soul gets involved in it, it starts to, to predict it. It starts to build pictures. What will happen if the spider bites me? What if I meet the spider? What if it's a big spider? Does, do spiders have eight eyes? I hate eight eyes. I hate those things. They got fangs. They beat me. They, they eat humans. I think they eat humans. And all the way along it goes until my whole soul now has built all of these pictures. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's why it works. It's not some cool churchy saying. When we fear something, we actually draw that thing to us. Let me just, I want to stay on my notes here. Uh, we're, wow, we're back on page one. Okay. Unless you remove the, this lie, no amount of truth will set you free from it. You have to decide first that this, this lie is a lie and it's got to go. Number two, if you fear suffering, you will attract it to yourself. Number three, when you fear suffering, the anticipation of suffering is often more or higher perceived pain and discomfort than the actual suffering itself. It's like going to the dentist. You know, you fear it for six months and then your whole experience is one little prick and they put the freezer in your gum and then you're done. You don't feel anything else from there on. It wasn't really that bad. It was a lot worse to fear it than it was to experience it. See how that happens? And then number four, fear of suffering diminishes any fruit that would normally come from the suffering. All suffering is intended to produce fruit. But when we are so focused on the fact that I suffered, I didn't notice the fruit that it created. You're so busy, you know, your business is just freaking you out and you're so suffering all the time. You forgot about all the people who are blessed by the things that you do. If you just focus on the fact that the people are blessed by the things that you do and don't worry about the other part of it, you won't even experience the suffering. I mean, it'll be there, but it'll be part of your, your life's mission to help people in the particular way that you help them and you'll be energized by that. Otherwise, if we don't get rid of this fear of suffering, then not, not only do I miss the fruit going by, but I also miss the lesson that was there inside. You know, God, you know, where's that note? Bless the Lord for the notes. Uh, the only reason, this is a scripture for you, Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. 
the glory, the, the transformation that is supposed to happen with every bit of suffering that I experience, that transformation, going with God and His ways, getting closer to Him, depending on Him more, learning Him more, growing more in Him, the fact that I am now so much stronger because of that suffering is going to be revealed in and through my life in the things that I am now able to do. And the Bible refers to it as glory. That word reckon is the word logizomai, logical, to calculate, to reckon, like an accountant would do. They reckon up the statements. So what we're doing is you're looking at the fact, you're reckoning and calculating that when I go through whatever suffering, effort, putting effort towards a greater cause, and I'm doing it with God and going with God, I'm starting to realize I'm reckoning, I'm calculating that there's a greater thing that is happening because of it. I'm not going to be bothered by the effort that I put in at this present moment because I'm so focused on what's going to be. I'm starting to learn that it's so great what I'm doing and it's so worthwhile that I put this effort towards what I'm doing. That word uh, glory which shall be revealed in us is the word, is the word doxa. I don't want to write all over my cool shirt. Although it's probably rub-outable, right? Do you want to see if it'll rub out in the walk? No, I'm kidding. That word is doxa, which is normally, it's like doxology, you know, when we magnify the Lord and His goodness, like we did today in worship. That doxa is talking about you. That as we suffer, as we embrace creative suffering, I'm no longer afraid of what I might have to face because I'm following God. I'm no longer going to perceive the little problem right underneath this, this, uh, this hyphen right here as somehow something that's going to destroy my life. I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to be looking at the creative re the v revealing of what's going to happen in my life because I'm getting stronger and stronger and stronger because of these experiences. That word doxa means more, uh, most, more or most majestic or exalted state normally referred to in God. He says, that'll start happening in you. That word uh, in, uh, that will be revealed in us, uh, no, excuse me, the word for this present time is the two words, nin kairos. Now you recognize the kairos. Kairos is a word for a season. It's like where we're at right now in the ministry. We're in a season of going over from the wilderness into the promised land that in the midst of that season, there's going to be a nin. Say that, there's going to be a nin. A whole bunch of nins, actually. Nin is the, is the word that refers to this actual moment right now. So there's Kairos time, which is the whole thing, time in the concept. Then there is Kairos, which is the season that you are in. And then there's nin. Nin is right now. When do we suffer? now when I embrace and push my I'm no longer afraid to suffer I'm no longer afraid to pay the price for the dream in my heart I'm no longer afraid to face whatever I have to face when I do that I am accepting the suffering of this one present moment which is now this moment which is now this moment which is now and all the way along there because life has got suffering at any point you're suffering right now your bum is sore because I'm talking too long are you going to accept it or are you going to not? You have to do that. You have to decide. It's maybe hot, too, too hot in here, too cold in here. You're hungry, you're thirsty, you need a coffee, right? Your, your spouse is bugging you. Whatever's happening right now, you're still having to endure it. Do you say, I'm going to learn from this? Can I give an example of this? Two years ago, we switched from a bar soap. This is going to be very innocuous, but I'm going to give you an example of it. We went from bar soap that I used in the shower to this now pump soap. So the problem was I have a very little shower. It's probably only this big, so it just me fits in it. And so what happens is, is because I would rinse myself with this now pump soap, if the shower was on, it would wash off all the soap before the soap had the ability to take off all the stink. And so what I decided to do was that when I'm finished, I wash my hair first and then put the conditioner on to make it look real nice, as you probably noticed. And then I shut the water off. Now I started to do this, we did this and it was winter. 
Because I'm, I got a vision for getting the stink off, and so I let the soap sit on me for about a minute until I rinse off. How many of you can feel the pain? You stinky people. But I'm freezing. I can't get the pressure. Oh, get turn the water back on. I tell you, I noticed the other day. It's cold now. It's starting to turn cold right now. So I'm standing. I notice I'm going through the motions. It's now become routine to me. Can I tell you, I'm not cold anymore. Okay, wait, no, no, I, yeah, thank you. I'm not cold anymore. I'm not cold anymore. What happened? See, I suffered for a while, but I kept going and I kept letting my body just get normalized of being standing soaking wet in a shower without the hot water pouring on me. Now I realized You see, what, what God wants us to do in this journey that we're on, if we'll just make the decision that says, I'm not afraid to suffer anymore. What's the worst thing that could happen? I get cold. I get a blister. What's the worst thing that could happen? I have to go a day without food. What's the worst thing that can happen? I got to wear the same shirt next week. What's the worst thing that can happen? You see, what happens until we get rid of that, this fear, can I tell you something? This fear, singular fear, is literally taking the superheroes of the kingdom. You. All around the world. People who have this enormous understanding of the superpower that they have on the inside. And we're trying to talk about superpower here. But can I tell you something? Superpowers are not what make you a superhero. Everybody has superpowers. What makes you a superhero is the courage to use your superpower for a cause greater than yourself. That's what it is. That's what makes you a superpower. You get all of these people who are trained up the problem is we need the courage to begin to step out and face the suffering of the next nin that comes after obey God. Because there's a whole bunch of nins in here. How many of you know that? There's a whole bunch of nins in here. But inside of you, right now, is the ability to take one more step. Just take one more step. Listen to it in Joshua's life, uh, Gideon's life. Verse 14, listen to verse 14. Uh, you know where you are. <clears throat> Didn't they say God brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Midianites, Gideon is complaining to the Lord about where are the miracles? In verse 14, this is what the Lord says. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have. He didn't say, go with the strength that can move mountains. He said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites because I, the God speaking, I am sending you. Now he's gonna talk more about that in a minute. But what did Joshua, what did Gideon have to do? Gideon had to get up and take one step in the strength that he had. We're going to talk about this when I'm back in the pulpit again. As Let me tell you, all of heaven transforms when you take one step. Remember in Jesus' life, in, in Gethsemane, I'll expand on this next time. In Gethsemane, remember, and he's sweating blood. And he says this, not my will, but thine be done. What's the next verse say, Alex? Sorry? Angels came and ministered to him. And you'll find out soon, the primary job of angels isn't to solve all your problems. They do every now and again. They killed 185,000 people one time, but that's not their primary job. Their primary job 
is to give you courage so that you can handle the next nin. But can I tell you, they didn't come to Jesus in the garden, Jesus, in the garden of Gethsemane until he said, not my will, but thine be done. In the, gar in, in the wilderness, right, Alex? In the wilderness, Jesus had to say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do what you're saying. I'm going to do the word of God. I'm, he's hungry. He needs the bread. He wants, you know, all these things. Until he said, no, I'm not doing it. And it says, right when he came out of the wilderness, and the angel came and ministered to him. Every one of our lives right now, God is calling us to get rid of the fear of suffering, the fear of pain, the fear of, the fear of falling down, the fear of making a mistake, the fear of being humiliated, the fear of being embarrassed, whatever, the fear of running out of money, the fear of getting sick, the fear of whatever. Get rid of it. Put your hand over your heart. We did all this to do this. Say, Heavenly Father, I know that this world is built on the concept of creative effort. I know that some people call that suffering. So I'm not afraid to do what it takes to face what you need to face to endure what I need to endure in order to follow you, obey you, and get done what you're asking me to get done. I declare that there is no such thing as life on this planet without suffering. The only choice I make is whether I allow suffering to destroy my life or create my life. I decide today, I want to create the life I want. I desire to follow God, to obey Him, because I know it's through that obedience and what I have to endure as a result of it that my life is being sculpted into the person that can fulfill my destiny. God knows what I need. He sees my future. He knows who I am today. And he's transforming me as I go through the actions and effort of obedience towards him. He's making me a real person. A real person who can fulfill his destiny. I declare today that I am a doer. I obey God. I know God goes before me and prepares my victory even before I get there. I know he comes back and stays with me every moment of my life. He told me he would not forsake me and he would not fail me. So I know that means as I face my battles, I go into them knowing that I'm already victorious. All I need to do is show up for the fight. All I need to do is become more and more aware of my superpower, that God ability, that God presence, that eternal life on the inside of me that causes every battle to be waged and won victoriously. Because I know God never loses. He's never lost a battle. So I know that I have nothing to be afraid of. I have an adventure ahead of me. I have people around me. I know God is with me. I have everything I need. I know what I'll need to know when I need to know it. And so I declare I am victorious at every moment of my life. I refuse to allow fear to cause timidity, 
procrastination caused me to choose the wrong path. I declare today it is my decision to follow God, to obey his commandments, to do what he says, <clears throat> to grow closer and closer to him, to understand him more all, every day. That's my job. That's my journey. I'm taking one step in Jesus' name.